Hi, everybody. Before we start the show, I just wanted to give you all a little heads up that we had some recording and editing issues with this episode. Lance and I had to record into the same mic in the same room because if you use two mics in that scenario, you will hear sound bleeding into the mic that isn't being spoken into and it'll sound like an echo chamber. We also got some significant echo because of the mic setup in the room where we recorded, but I was able to cut down on that through a lot of post-production magic. And finally, some things didn't pick up in the mic for some reason, so there are a few moments where it sounds a little bit choppy here and there, but overall I'm happy with how the episode turned out. I worked very hard on getting this one fixed up, so please take these things into consideration before judging too harshly while listening. We had a great time discussing these movies, and if I didn't feel the episode was at least listenable, I wouldn't be releasing it at all. Thank you all for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the show. Today on the show, we've got a couple of extra special movies. Star Wars movies, that is. Rogue One from 2016, and The Empire Strikes Back from 1980. everyone welcome to brandon at random reviews i am your host brandon griffiths thank you for stopping by i do appreciate it today on the show we've got some star wars movies as i mentioned and i brought on our resident star wars expert lance brooks hey brandon uh yeah i'm lance uh i've loved star wars growing up and everything i've known brandon quite some time now a good majority of of my life, I feel like. So happy to talk about Star Wars today. Absolutely. Okay, so I just wanted to kind of whet the listener's appetite with a little bit of uh, discussion of what we recommend in the way of Star Wars. I mean, it can be anything. It doesn't have to be movies, but, it, you know, whatever you think. What What's on your radar as, as the most important Star Wars? Yeah, I'd say the originals, the original trilogy is uh, right up there for me. Um, but the thing I've been enjoying a lot lately is The Mandalorian. Um, we're two seasons in and a third season, I think, is coming out next year. Oh, yeah. I'm fucking excited about The Mandalorian. Um, we got a little taste of it during the Book of Boba Fett and it was pretty solid, but I, I'm so amped up for it. It's it's such a great show, honestly. I, I recommend just, I mean, just kind of off the beaten path, I recommend the Thrawn trilogy, which is, I believe, some of the first books that they did for Star Wars fan fiction. And it is pretty, they're, they're pretty great books. And I personally like the graphic novels. They're a lot more my speed, you know, like I, I struggle sitting down and reading a novel, but if I can read a graphic novel, it's fucking solid. So, but they're really good stories. You have to kind of forgive the fact that the sequel trilogy that came out a few years ago kind of erased everything that those things stood for. So just keep that in mind. If you go to check them out, there's going to be some confusing things that you won't understand. Yeah, when Disney took over, that was one of the things that kind of changed. There's a lot of books out there that are like really good that a lot of Star Wars fans like, but now they're considered like not canon or I think they call them legacy now. But yeah, there's there's a lot of good books. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I guess... I feel like we have a ton to talk about with this this couple of movies, so I, I figure we'll just dive right into it now. Starting with Rogue One, a Star Wars story. 
released on December 16th, 2016, directed by Gareth Edwards. He also did that Godzilla movie from 2014. It's he, he said that the look of this movie was inspired by Blade Runner from 1982, Alien from 79, Apocalypse Now from 79, and Baraka, which I don't know anything about, from 1982. And it kind of shows through, at least the movies that I know from that, it this is a much darker movie. It's it's more serious. Um, it's it's a lot more in that vein. We've got the screenplay by Chris Weitz and Tony Gilroy. The story was by John Knoll and Gary Whitta. And there were a ton of fucking rewrites on this movie. Like so many rewrites and so many reshoots and things like that. Because they wanted to get it right and they didn't want to screw it up. They're starting basically this big anthology series. Which unfortunately stalled out at Solo. Because... Right. You know, I, I didn't mind Solo. It was just Solo was, it was very prequely. It was very like, hey, you know, like, remember this? This is how that happened. Yes, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. It, it had a lot of references back to other parts of other movies. And obviously my bias set aside, Solo is a subpar movie. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay, so produced by Kathleen Kennedy, Allison Shearmer, and Simon Emanuel. The score was composed by Michael Giacchini. And I don't know if you realized all of these movies that this guy did, because obviously this is the first Star Wars movie without John Williams, which you would have thought going in was a horrifying thought. Like, what are we going to do without that amazing score? But this guy's immensely talented. He's done multiple Mission Impossible movies. He did Jurassic World, the Star Trek reboot. He works with J.J. Abrams a little bit. Quite a few Pixar movies. And he did The Batman with Robert Pattinson, as well as Spider-Man No Way Home. So that's a pretty fucking solid resume resume for that guy. He he knows what he's talking. He, you know, he's he knows what he's doing when he goes to make a score. So I, I really I like the scores from those movies. It's not just like he was credited for them and I don't even remember them. I'm a huge fan. Of, I didn't know he did the Batman Robert Pattinson, but I'm a huge fan of the the music in that movie. Oh, yeah. And so it's cool to kind of learn that today. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, the score of the Batman is so simplistic, but it's right. so epic. I mm-hmm. mean, it's so great. So yeah, I, I think he does an amazing job in this movie. If I don't mention it later on, don't forget that he did an amazing job on the score. Starting with the cast, we have Felicity Jones, who I have noted here is hot. She plays Jin Erso. We have Diego Luna, who plays Cassian Andor. And he has actually a spinoff show that is, I think the first three episodes are out right now. I haven't gotten around to watching them because I, I was prepping for this podcast and I didn't want to muddle my mind. And then uh, we've got Ben Mendelsohn, who plays Orson Krennic, and he was in The Dark Knight Rises. That's what I remember him from, but if it's Batman, I'm going to remember the Batman stuff. Donnie Yen plays Chirrut Imwe. Is that yes, the correct yeah. pronunciation? Okay. Mads Mikkelsen, who plays Galen Erso, Jin's father. He was in, most notably for me, Casino Royale, the James Bond movie, which was the first reboot movie they did with Daniel Craig. And then we've got uh, Forrest Whitaker, who plays Saw Gerrera, and James Earl Jones, who voices Darth Vader, who recently announced that he is no longer doing Darth Vader ever again, which is a huge loss for the franchise. But they said that they'll continue to do what they did with Obi-Wan Kenobi and keep using, you know, what sounds like his voice to do Darth Vader. So some casting notes. I I thought you'd enjoy this. Uh, The the Tatiana Maslan 
Kalani, I don't know who that is, Rooney Mara, and Kate Mara auditioned for the female lead role of Jin Erso, which inevitably went to Felicity Jones. Aaron Paul was in the running for Cassian, which I found interesting. I don't know if I would have liked that quite as much. Jet Li was considered for the role of Churit, and apparently it came down to the fact that Jet Li wanted like way too much money, I think. So I, I was reading up on this because I Brandon sent me some notes and I saw the Jet Li thing and Jet Li wanted like 10 million. And yeah. I can't think of his name already. Uh, Donnie Yen wanted like four. Right. That's a pretty big difference. Right. Yeah. And it's like Donnie Yen does an amazing job. Right. I mean, right. He's really good in this. So yeah. it's not like I am upset that we didn't get a big name like Jet Li, you know, off the heels <laughs> right. of amazing movies like Cradle to the Grave. Warwick Davis is in this movie. He, the veteran Star Wars actor plays Watif Sayubi, one of Saw Gerrera's militia members. He, he was famously one of the Ewoks in Return of the Jedi. That's what I got for, for casting notes. I don't know. There there was, a. I mean, with it being Star Wars, it's there's a lot of information out there and it's tough to filter through and figure out what's interesting and what's not. So, But I think if you're ready, Lance, I'm going to dive right into the plot here. Yeah. Okay, so just, you know, feel free to stop me if I start rambling and, you know, all that fun stuff. So this is the plot synopsis. A group of misfits is tasked with stealing the plans for a highly destructive space station at the dawn of an intergalactic war. At the beginning of this movie, there's this menacing ship coming to this desolate planet. And, you know, we see this little girl running as it approaches and she seems really panicked and uneasy about what's going on. And we find out later that she's Jin Erso. Her parents are on like full alert. They are freaking the fuck out. They're calling Saw Gerrera. They're saying, hey, it's time. This is happening. You know, they, they knew that this would come. And basically the parents just tell her to gather things and they treat it like a full emergency. And they send her off to, you know, go to her hiding place that she needs to go so that uh, bad people won't find her. Um, Jin's father, who is played by Mad M- Mads Mikkelsen, as I mentioned, explains in all all that he does. He says that in all he does, it is to protect her. So it is just he want you know he he's doing it, and he needs her to understand that he's going to do some things that aren't necessarily favorable. But you know that he's doing it because of her and wants to protect her, and so. He calls her Stardust as a, a pet name. So she rushes off to her hiding place and a group of men led by Orson Krennic, played by Ben Mendelsohn, comes to talk to Jin's father, Galen. And so Krennic wants Galen and his family to come with them to help him build something. And anybody who's seen any Star Wars movies knows what what are we, what are we talking about? The Death Star. Because, I mean, there's multiple Death Stars throughout the Star Wars universe. So you just know that this is what's happening. Lyra, who is Galen's wife and Jin's mother, comes out and threatens the group with a blaster. Galen tries to reason with her, but ultimately Lyra is killed and Krennic is only wounded. And... And Krennic instructs the men to find the daughter, but they have no such luck. And Jin sits in her cave bunker and waits it out until Saw comes to rescue her. Now, I I made it a point here to say already the score is spectacular. It's already very good. It's I wouldn't say John Williams level at all, but it's different. It's 
apples to oranges, really. I mean, what they're doing, it, it echoes the Williams scores, you know? It's it's like, it, it sounds a little bit like it, but it's not all the way it's full its own, on. It's its own thing. Right, exactly. Before we hop into the next part, the only thing I want to mention that always bugged me with just these, the troopers that are with Krennic are death troopers, Mm-hmm. And you can't understand them. Like, when they talk, it's like this. Wah, 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 wah. Like, it doesn't actually come out words. And that's always bugged me. Because we've never seen stormtroopers have, like, coded language or something. Right. So, that's always... That's one thing that sticks out in this movie is not a knock on the movie or anything. Just a weird decision for the troopers, I guess. Yeah. Since we hadn't seen it before. Yeah, and it is it is odd. Because, like you said, you, you never see that in any of the other iterations of of the troopers that we see and it's like were they doing it as like a so they could be covert and they could be secret you know like they they could be giving commands and you couldn't tell what they were doing it's tough to say but i I hope that that's at least partially the reason so then we see Jin fully grown into felicity jones because new star wars movies want me to fall in love with brunette british girls and we see a man who we later learn is cassian andor meeting someone who is very nervous and tells cassian about this mysterious deadly space station that's coming about and two stormtroopers come and break up the, you know the interaction and they ask him for identification and cassian flees He gets away before backup can arrive. And, you know, at the beginning of this movie, we get a lot of bouncing around. It's like we're going from one planet to the next. And you're kind of like, what? What is that? What's happening? You know what I mean? What? I I, I mean, it's a little confusing if you haven't seen it before. But I remember watching it in theaters, just zoning into it, like just loving it. Well, in Cassian, I think I think that's an important scene because, you know, we think of the Rebels as the good guys, the guys who never do anything wrong. And you see Cassian basically take out two stormtroopers and then the guy he was getting info from has like a bad arm. Mm. And Cassian's looking at skill on a wall. And the guy's like, I can't do that. And so Cassian's like, everything's going to be fine. And he shoots him in the back. And I think it kind of just shows the darkness of that movie a right. little better than any of the other Star Wars movies we've seen where, you know, I, I can't speak for what Cassian was going through his head, but it was like, okay, I can't take this guy. I'm just going to kill him. Go. Right. I mean, it's like he's he's a little more ruthless. He's ruthless, like, like more so than Han Solo was supposed to be. Right. Like, you know, I mean, that's I think what they what they liked is in his character is they wanted him to be a little more ruthless. So on this planet Jeddah, we see a group of beings in ventilator masks. Do you know what they're called by chance? Uh man, I, I don't. No. OK, I thought just on the off chance that you did, I'd ask. But they're approached by a man named Bodhi Rook who wants to see Saw Gerrera. And so they take him to an unknown fate. You don't really know at that moment if they're actually taking him to where he wants to go or not. So then we go over to Wobani and Jin is a prisoner in a transport and the the stormtroopers are guarding it and they get stopped by something unseen and Jin is rescued by a tall droid named... K2SO with Cassian. Now, Jin is taken to Yavin 4, which is where Rebel Headquarters is, and uh, she's questioned by the leaders of the Alliance, and they seem to want Jin's help because they know her father's working on the space station, and they know it's a big threat to them. So they're basically just, you know, trying to figure out what she can do for them. They ask her a bunch about Galen and Saw Gerrera, and uh, they want her to help so they can get an in 
in to meet with Saw. They talk a little more in depth about the, the Death Star and what, you know, what the uh, potential issue there is. And we find out that, uh, you know, as they're leaving, Jin doesn't know, but Cassian's orders are to kill Saw Gerrera despite what they're telling her. So like, no, to kill Gale and Urso. Gale and Urso, okay. So yeah. why did I put Sagarera? Anyway, so I thought they wanted to kill Sagarera too. Uh, so they just wanted more so a meeting with him to get in the door. But Saw, so the Rebels and Saw don't see eye to eye because Sagarera has a much more violent approach. Yeah, he's to, a little yeah. more extreme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think that they necessarily wanted to remove him from the picture. But the idea was to get Galen and bring him back but then as you see you know he gets instructed if once he sees Galen to take a shot right which is tragic in that you have to know if they're already hearing about the space station that it's already fully developed and killing Galen's probably not going to accomplish much it's yeah I really didn't understand that because like you said it's already probably finished or close to being finished since all these rumors are swirling around right um if anything it makes way more sense to take him alive and understand it yeah so I don't I, I couldn't wrap my head around that and it was you know it was very clear that it's like yeah I mean if he's even if he's got a little bit left to build of the the station it's like there can't be that much to go that they can right. do it without him okay so turns out the dude Bodie who wanted to be taken to Guerrera uh, on Jetta is doing so at the behest of Galen Urso we find out that uh, as we mentioned Saw Guerrera is a bit of an extremist rebel and he does some unorthodox things and he people are a little more fearful about him as a leader um, Tarkin is shown after that uh talking to Krennic about wanting to test this new weapon to try and course correct after some issues that they've had. And then we go back to Jeddah with Jin and Cassian and we see uh, the fuel for the Death Star being transported. And we get this line that is, rebellions are big on hope. And I really like that line. I, I Built on hope. Built on hope. Okay. I put big... Why am I so dumb? Anyway, <laughs> so... This is why you brought the Star Wars expert. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Charit Imwe is uh, a man, a blind man who introduces himself to Jin on the streets of Jeddah. And he's very eccentric. He's talking to Jin and, you know, like he knows things that a blind man shouldn't know. And he believes he is one with the force and the force is with him. And that's his big thing. You know, so he, he talks to her about kyber crystals, which I know they power light sabers i don't know if if there's more i need to know no i mean it's just that they're supposed to be like super powerful crystals um so that's why they were using them for the death star for a very large laser cannon right okay (laughs) we see how life is on this occupied imperial planet um it's you know the troops are walking around they've got these you know what would equate to being like tanks that they're driving around and stuff Cassian causes an explosion and a surprise attack on a group of uh, troopers. And there's a big battle scene between the troops and our ragtag duo. Overpowered, the two flee. And K2SO comes, even though he was supposed to stay with the ship. And he is, in my opinion, and this might be blasphemous, 
I like K2SO far more than C3PO. Oh, I don't, I, I think that's spot on. I mean, okay. throughout the movie, like, you know, you get that little bit of Star Wars humor that everyone has, and, and K2 is that humor for the most right. part. And I think he's fantastic. Um, I have watched a little bit of the new Andor series, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but so far, no K2. We'll see, but I'm, I'm hoping sure. he pops up at some point. Yeah, I'm, I get the feeling that that'll happen. Right. You've got to see that union form. So, Chirrut Imway assists in the fighting along with his friend Baze Malbus and Saw's people take the group of misfits after the battle ends and... You know, because basically Jin just says that they want to, f- they're looking for Saw Gerrera. And so, you know, everybody that's in the crowd surrounding them is like Saw's people, I guess. And so they take Jin to Saw first. And then, you know, Jin kind of, you know, Saw is happy to see her, but Jin is obviously very irritated with saw because it's kind of like he abandoned her he didn't you know and so she's upset about that and he explains to her that he knew that she could be held as a hostage and that it would be a a liability to have her around because they'd constantly be trying to use her and so he he left her be and you know let her fend for herself and just learn how to live on her own and it's very evident while saw talks to Jin that he's pretty paranoid about people trying to trick him, trying to kill him, things like that. I mean, he's just very on edge, uh, like the whole scene. And it's it's Forrest Whitaker, so it's, you know, this giant guy, and he's got this suit on with this, like, ventilator thing that he, like, pulls up to his mouth every once in a while to help him breathe. And it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's a pretty nifty suit. So they're finally going to test the Death Star on Jeddah, and that is where Jin and company are. There's a hologram from Galen that Saw shows um, to Jin, where Galen explains himself, and he says some very heartfelt things to her, and he also provides the location of the archive where the plans are, so that she knows where to find it, and so she knows that that's what she must do, is, you know, to to do her part, you know, it's like she's an integral piece in preventing, or at least remedying the situation. So Cassian and the boys break out of the cells that they are being held in at Saw's place, and the planet is slowly being destroyed, which to me, I don't know if it's because it's like an early iteration of the Death Star, but I get the feeling that it would have happened a lot quicker if they like started to, they're like, okay, we're going to fuck this planet up. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, I I don't feel like they would have had time to get away, but I think it works if you look at it through that lens of like, they were just doing the the test run. Yeah. Tarkin made it a point of just saying, destroy the city, not the planet. Oh, he did. Uh, Okay. I missed that. So when, when they do the single reactor ignition, which... I have no idea what that means, but they specifically say that, and it's basically meant to just take out the city, not right. the planet itself. Okay, so presumably they have multiple reactors, and right. normally they would have a huge explosion. Saw decides not to go with the rebels. Um, they He knows that they're going off to, to fight this fight, to find these plans, and he says he's done running, so you know he basically just accepts his fate on the uh, city that's being destroyed. And so Cassian, Jin, and company manage to get away from the planet in the nick of time as Saw is left behind to die. And at that moment, uh, Tarkin praises 
Krennic's performance with the new weapon and explains that Tarkin essentially plans to take control from Krennic and get the credit. And Krennic is obviously not a huge fan of this at all. He is very, very upset. Yes, yes, he's very angry. And then on the way to Edda, Ida. So it's Edu. And the, and the reason that we're... So we kind of talked about, you know, where the plans were going, that, that we're going to take them to Scarif. Mm-hmm. But when they leave... Jetta, everybody on the ship, they they bring the rev or the ex Imperial pilot who delivered all these messages, and he says that Galen's on Edu. So okay, that's why they go to Edu first, because then Jin's thought is I'm gonna save my dad, and Cassian is still of the mindset he's gonna take a shot when he has it. Right. Okay. And so on their way to Edu, Jin talks more about her father. She explains that he only helped build the station. You know, he's trying to do the right thing and, you know, course correct. And Cassian doesn't believe Jin about the hologram that she saw of Galen and she doesn't have it to prove that it's there. So it's, you know, it's really tough for her to convince Cassian that it's, it, you know, it's real. Oh yeah, so Imway keeps chanting, I'm one with the force and the force is with me. He just, it's his mantra. We get this very exciting scene where they crash land on Edu and Cassian I just noticed that he's pretty angry a lot like he's he's a pretty on-edge angry guy I don't I mean I was I would say he has a short fuse or he he, he definitely has to be in control of like exactly. what's going on at all times oh yeah uh, it's pointed out by by Jared Imway that uh you know with Cassian acting the way he is you know, he says that the force moves darkly around someone who is about to kill, which tells Jin all she needs to know. She's she's afraid that that's, you know, he's actually going to kill Galen. I, I, I got to say, up to this point, the pacing of this movie is stupendous. It is like, it's like we get, there's never a lull. It's like every scene has important shit going on and, and it's interesting to watch. And I it just really wanted to point that out because it's, it's something that not a lot of movies do well. There's always like a dry spell in the middle of the movie. Right. So Well, and I think, you know, after the crash, landing so Cassian and and the pilot so Cassian leaves with the Imperial pilot because the pilot needs to find a ship because when they crash it's crashed and Cassian's obviously going to look for Galen so when Jen leaves you know she's going to look for Galen but it's like they took two different routes and Chira and Baze uh follow her it's interesting kind of how this scene kind of plays out with with the different I guess, approaches to it where Cassian's trying to get a shot and Jin's trying to, like, get in. Yeah, it's very it's very cool. It's, um, you know, and then it kind of serves as, like, Cassian is lined up to assassinate Galen, and it's, like, then when the attacks happen, it's, like, he's able to provide cover for her. Right. You know, so that's, that's pretty nifty. Cassian has already left after the, you know, after the scenes in Edu, he's already left with Bodhi to scope out the Imperial base. I, I I point out this is so dumb, but okay, the ships, the ships with the wings that flip up as they um they land, and the the ones that flip down, you know, they flip down when they're going up. I, just cool. I don't know. They're yeah. they're pretty nifty. I right? mean, I I think back to like the original Star Wars, and I still love the X wing. Like it's oh, the yeah. classic to me, and it's like you know, lock S foils in attack position it always sticks out in my head. So. I feel like that's like a Star Wars thing where like whenever a ship takes off <clears throat> or lands, 
it's got to have its wings moving in some way. <laughs> right, right. It's got to get into that mode, even though that's not the the kind of aircrafts that we know. Right. The assumption, as we mentioned, is that Cassian is going to assassinate Galen. Um, in front of Galen, Krennic accuses several Imperial men of treachery and working with the rebels. And when Krennic says that if no one will admit to it, he'll just kill them all, Galen comes forward and admits what he's done. And Krennic just goes ahead and kills them all anyway, because Krennic's going to Krennic. So, but he doesn't kill Galen. And so the rebels come and attack the base and they put Jin and Galen in danger. And then Galen dies in Jin's arm af- arms after the attack. And Jin has to flee with Cassian to safety. Uh, he's come to make sure that she was okay. And Baze and company are providing cover fire. And then Jin and Cassian argue about the rights and wrongs of what Cassian was even doing there. Obviously, Jin's going to be upset about him trying to kill her father. And then we get, for the first time in the movie, Vader in a Bacta tank, which is exciting. I mean, yep. Any, anytime we get to see Vader, it's great. Oh, um, yeah. On Edu with the Rebel attack, like when those X Wings are coming in, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the score or not, but it's very high paced. Oh, like, yeah. I feel like it gives me goosebumps every time I watch it because it's like, all right, stuff's about to go down. I don't know exactly what. And then you just see the rebels attacking the base, trying to, you know, give Cassian and Jen cover when really they're kind of goofing things up, but they're already on their attack run by the time that Cassian realizes Jen's on the platform. So right. it works out, obviously, but that whole scene with just the X Wings attacking is just amazing. Amazing. Oh yeah, it, they they really it all comes together really well. The score, the I mean, just the way that they shoot it and everything, it's very awesome. We get some cool shots of Vader in full costume after we see him in the back to take, and then Mendelssohn has a, has this scene with Vader where he's talking to him, and Mendelssohn plays it really well, you know, because he's playing Krennic, and Krennic is. He's very nervous around Vader. You know, he just, you can sense that he doesn't feel good about being around this guy. And so it's like, basically, Krennic seems like he's getting a little too bold and he's he's like getting ahead of himself, wanting to climb the ranks. And Vader basically just tells him not to choke on his aspirations as he force chokes him. And it's pretty fucking solid. I, I, I like it quite a bit. And always that, so like, if you've, watched the prequels and stuff and you've kind of seen Anakin interact with Obi-Wan that was like an Anakin moment to me where he made this smart remark because you don't really see that from Vader in any of the other iterations of Vader so it was kind of a a nice little callback that like Anakin was still in there but uh yeah I always enjoy that part because it just it wasn't a line I expected from Vader at all no not even a little bit and so we get the scene with uh, rebel leadership again at HQ. Um, they're discussing what to do. They keep showing Jimmy Smiths as Bail Organa. He doesn't really seem to have much to do. It's like he's just there initially. I mean, he talks later on, but you know, initially you're just like, "Ooh, shit, it's Bail yeah. Organa." Yeah, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I was happy to see him there. You know, yeah. I, I didn't know that that was going to be a thing. So when this movie was being made and everything, like Brandon mentioned, there was a lot of changes and stuff. So. Even if you saw someone was associated with the movie that you knew as a character in the past, 
you didn't know if they were going to make the cut or not. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so the rebel leaders don't believe Jin about, um, you know, what she's saying about the, the hologram and stuff like that. And But after their discussion with Cassian, he, he comes forward to tell Jin that he believes her. And we... So they're they're going to let them go and and try and get these plans. And so we get this fucking great line of, you know, when they're they're leaving and K2SO says, Jin, I'll be there for you. Cassian says I have to. Yeah, I love that. I was wondering I thought that's the line you were gonna say, and it's fantastic. Yeah. It's like it's their dynamic, like they're they're back and forth, like Jin isn't a huge fan of it's like you know k2so we didn't mention this but is an, a repurposed imperial droid he's been reprogrammed so it's like he looks like a threat right off the bat but he's got this charming personality <laughs> and he says a lot of funny stuff so it's pretty enjoyable what's great is originally you don't know what to expect like you know that they get the plans, but will they still live in this movie? You know what I mean? What's what's going to happen with our our band of misfits? You know, we don't know if they're going to try and you know if they're they're going to leave it open ended or something like that. But Jin gives a rousing speech to the troops as they approach, and she's telling them that they need to keep taking uh, another risk if one risk succeeds, which is yeah. They, I mean, every time they take a chance, they're going to take the next one and the next one. And, right. And it's a good speech, and I do want to jump back for just one second because yeah. when they're first taken off the i don't know air traffic control i don't know what they're called in star right. wars yeah they ask what the call sign of the ship is and they're like rogue one like they just kind of right. make it up on the fly and you had mentioned i think in our notes that this is the first movie that actually like said the movie title for star wars said mm. the movie title in the movie and it obviously started happening more after that because now right. they are rogue one that's their call sign but it's just interesting it was kind of like a off the cuff you know at least in the movie an off the cuff kind of like we're rogue one like it nobody is right. really sure what they are called just making it up as we go <laughs> no I, I liked that a lot i like that you know it's 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 cool because you know it's like it gives them kind of like a unit like it mm -hmm. unifies them so the empire is heavily guarding scarif and there is this big I don't even know what you call it, force field generator type thing. And it's like they have to penetrate or if they're going to get any help, they have to penetrate that. But they go in as showing as Imperial, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So they're the, the Imperial ship they stole from Edu still has the codes to get them on. So they do get through the shield and we get another K2 line where like the shield code better work or we're all going to die. And K2 is like, I won't die. I don't need oxygen. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. it's like okay thanks right. buddy like <laughs> so yeah. yeah they do get through um and land on scarif and and he also does do the star wars like every star wars movie i think says it but it's like the uh i've got a bad feeling yeah. about yeah. this yeah so th so they go to they go into the base dressed as imperials you know but like he doesn't actually say i've got a bad feeling. he starts to say it and Jin stops him so it's it's even funnier because right. it's like no no we're not doing that here right right and Jared Imway is honestly pretty badass in this movie. He's yes. he's very cool. He's got his like staff weapon and he's like walking around and he's doing things that only a sighted man should be able to do, you know? Yeah. And so it's it's very cool to watch him fight people and, you know, 
he it definitely just, shows he's in touch with the Force. And right. Stuff. He's not a Jedi, but he's in touch with the Force in some way. Right. And so I, I love so much about what they could do. I'm just thinking about it at this point. Like, I love what they could do with anthology movies. Like, how awesome it could be. You know what I mean? If it, instead of another show, they did another anthology movie where it's, like, not connected directly to other characters. You know, you can get all new worlds and all that stuff. I, I mean, think- it would that's what I enjoyed a lot about Rogue One was yes there were some characters we knew of sprinkled in but for the most part it was a bunch of nobodies until you know you got to know them in the movie and I think that's almost what made me enjoy it better was it's you know I I think when the prequels came out which I know how you feel about them but (laughs) when the prequels came out you knew how it ended and yeah we knew how we knew this was going to end somehow, but we really didn't know right. the path that was going to get us. There. Right. What are I have a note that says, what are the tan stormtroopers called, Lance? They are called shore troopers. Shore troopers. OK, that's and, and I feel like <laughs> this is more so a, a just a me opinion. I feel like every time they come out with a new show or a movie, there has to be a new type of trooper from merchandise. Right. It's like and they this... can't just repurpose the old ones. <laughs> right. They have they, to have they new ones. Both on right. Scarif. Because I like, remember it was like the sand troopers just had that little shield on their yeah. arm and it was like that was it. That was what made a new toy. So we get a like a getting knocked out super easy gag by way of K2SO when they're infiltrating the base. You know, it's it, it always cracks me up like how easily people get knocked out in movies. <laughs> right. I will say though, you're getting hit by a machine. It's That's not like true. you're getting hit by a person where, you know, you get a karate chop to the neck or Yeah, something. I guess we don't know what level of force he might have used you know it's very possible so cassie and cassian and Jin break into the archives to get the death star plans the battle scenes are raging outside and they're clearly meant to echo like vietnam imagery i think and so at least it just reminds me of every vietnam movie i've ever seen uh just with the jungles and stuff it's a lot of like guerrilla type fighting exactly trying to stay hidden but also like you know they have uh bodhi stays on the ship and bodhi starts like in impersonating other people and saying they're being attacked at different places mm-hmm. to just confuse everybody. Yeah. We we see a lot of things not working out, which is, in my opinion, good storytelling, just like things go wrong. And I really enjoy that. I like when it's not obvious what's going to happen. And they have to get to this comms tower to be able to transmit the plans and we get some uh, the the, the adats that are walking down the fucking beach, and it looks fucking amazing. I mean, they did a really good job. I mean, because I mean, the originals from the movie we'll talk about later, The Empire Strikes Back, are miniatures, right. and so these are CGI, and they're full blown. You know, they, but they look real. They look great. Yeah, and one of my favorite shots of of the ATAT is when it's Bay shoots a rocket at one and it hits it in the head and it moves off and then it looks back and it's like, oh God, like that, we can't take that off. Yeah. So the visuals are stunning, as I mentioned. The rebels begin attacking the Imperials on the surface of the planet. I think at this point they've managed to get through the um, force field. So yeah, they get there and... uh, 
the force fields open when uh, so, so I think the other rebels get wind of the attack on on uh, Je- I want to say Jeddah, but I know that's not Scarif. They mm-hmm. get wind of it, and uh, so they send everybody else because originally, like nobody knew that this attack was going to happen. Like Jin right. and them just decided to do it on their own, yeah. and so a bunch of them went to help, and some rebels got through the shield before it got put back up, mm-hmm. and then the space battle was about trying to get that shield down to get them more help but right it got prevented for quite some time yeah yeah so there was a lot of of doing to to make that happen we get a fleet of tie fire fighters being dispatched for the attack which is pretty awesome things are really not looking good for our heroes it's it's getting pretty dire and they find the main switch to connect Bodhi to the comms tower to transmit the plans there is excitement literally everywhere interspersed with Cassian and Jin looking for the plans in the archive K2SO actually at this point sacrifices himself to further the Jin and Cassian plans you know it's just like he's he's going to stay there and and fight off bad guys while they're in there looking for the plans. This scene with Jin uh, climbing around in the archives is like, I really, I think it's really cool looking. It, you know, they do a lot of cool shots and mm-hmm. it's like, it's just, it's very intense because it's like, if she falls, that's it. It's Yeah, she's done. So we don't get much of the stormtroopers sucking dick at shooting in this, which is which is nice. I enjoy that. Imway sacrifices himself on the ground in a hail of blaster fire. And then, um, I, okay, so the guy that is the same kind of being as Admiral Akbar is named Admiral Radis. Yes. But I always, because he has like a much darker skin tone, like black skin tone. Right. So I always call him Admiral Blackbar. <laughs> and that's... <laughs> all I can think when I do it. So it's like, I, I just, I, I made a note of that. And then, um, and, and like base Malbus is fucking badass in his scenes. Yep. You know, he's, he's doing a great job there. I forget how much I enjoyed this movie before I watched it this time. I, I really love it. Jin makes a break for it, getting out of the archive and she goes to send the plans out of the at- antenna, but it is, the antenna is out of alignment and they, uh, wreck the fuck out of a star destroyer at the force field generator. Oh, that is fantastic. Yeah, that's um, fucking sweet. You know, like that visual for cuz basically one star destroyer cuts in half another one. Yeah. And that visual like it's just amazing. Yeah. I feel like the music's even kind of toned down a bit to just soak in the moment. Yeah. And it just, it looks amazing. Yeah, because it goes slow-mo for sure. Right. Yeah. And so Krennic confronts Jin on a catwalk. Cass and Star Wars is big on catwalks, by the way. They, yeah. they have a lot of them. <laughs> um, Cassian comes and kills Krennic. And let's see here. They, you know, Cassian kills Krennic and he, uh, they manage to transmit the plans and they get through. Um, things get a little lovey-dovey between Jin and Cassian, but I think that's okay because I'd, I'd spend the end with Felicity Jones if I had the chance. We well, get... But I think at this point, we're starting to see the main characters die off. Yes. We've seen, you know, different ones, K2, Cheer. Yeah, we've seen expendable characters die, but this is where we're starting to accept, like, this is going to happen. Yeah, is- the main characters, uh, it's it's not looking good. F- they completed the mission, but it's yeah. not looking good for them to stay alive after the mission. Right, exactly. Um, we get some... 
shots of the rebels fleeing with the plans and Jin and Cassian accept their fate and come to rest on a beach. And, you know, you just knew that they were never going to survive at that point. And so we see the rebels taking the plans while things are being destroyed all around. Darth Vader confronts them in what is arguably my favorite Star Wars moment Ever. So the 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 thing I want to jump back to is the Death Star showing up. Yeah. That's, that's why Jin and them dies. Because Tarkin decides to level that archive, everything, stormtroopers, doesn't matter. He's just going to, you know, level Scarif. You know, that's how they end up dying. But, like, I always... The part I always get stuck on, because like we assume the Death Star is a sphere, but it jumped into hyperspace because they talk about that at one point Mm -hmm. and you never see engines on it. And so it's always been one of my big mysteries was how the Death Star can travel because I always just assumed it floated around like a planet. Like it probably had some sort of push, but not (laughs) hyperspace capabilities. Yeah. I guess you know it had to have had something to get where it is. I mean, right. I guess it could have been towed or something. Right, but. right. But yes, the Darth Vader scene. Oh, fucking It, it is amazing. And uh, so the thing I kind of talked about with you before this was that scene wasn't in the movie originally. Uh, that was something that was shot three to four months before the film released. Like, it it was that close to not being in the movie. And it, like you said, it's one of my favorite scenes in any of the movies, any of the shows, because it just, it finally shows Vader in action. We don't... Like, his raw power. Right. We see Vader a little bit in the original trilogies doing some of this stuff that it's like, wow, I can't believe he does that. But in this one, it's just, like, I think you said it best, it's raw power. And just seeing what he's capable of is just mind-blowing. And then on the flip side... You have the guy that's holding the disc with the door that can't open. Mm-hmm. And it just, it shows like how close they were to failing. Right. After all that, they right. were still that You're close. You're still on edge this whole day, even after your heroes have died and all this stuff, you know? So, I mean, just to kind of explain the Vader scene. So, we just, we're looking down a dark hallway and all we hear is his breathing. Yep. And... All of a sudden, he fucking kicks on this red lightsaber and just fucking goes to town on these (laughs) rebel forces. Like, he is picking guys up and throwing them. He's fucking deflecting blasters. He's He he is cutting people down left and right. It is amazing. And he's just trying to get to where the guy is, as Lance was talking about, the get the disc into the, you know, the next section of the ship to get away. But I, I just, it's such a fucking great scene. I really, like... I remember that in the theater being, I was like, holy shit. (laughs) I I don't think there, anybody who went to see that movie that kind of knew of Darth Vader, which I feel like is is a lot of people, you know, you you know of Darth Vader. But I don't think anybody who wasn't directly involved with that movie saw that scene coming to any degree. Yeah, we, I would have thought the... The incidental scenes where Krennic is talking to him and things like that, that would have been all we would have gotten. We would have just gotten a little, hey, there's Darth Vader, you know? Right. And that's... And even when he boarded the ship, like, they showed his him being, like, flying over to the ship to board it. Even then, I was like, it's going to just show him, like, showing up a, a, a step late and the ship, the other ship's taken off or right. whatever. I did not think we were going to get an action sequence. No. So, the score is... Epic in that scene also. I can't not mention that. And the last guy to try 
to get out is, you know, handing out the plans as, you know, the doors jammed and he can't get through it. He accepts his fate and they manage to escape with the plans as Vader just menacing, menacingly watches them fly away. And they go and they they give the plans to a CGI Princess Leia. And, you know, the guy goes to hand it to her and he's like, you know, what is it that they've given us? And she just turns around and says, hope. And that's all. And it gives me the fucking chills, even though I know it's fake. It's fucking, (laughs) it's real to me, damn it. So, yeah. Well, um, I think just to talk about the CGI for a minute, because we had it with Tarkin and then we had it with Princess Leia. And and I don't think it was bad. I, I don't think it was great either, but it's. It's definitely advancing from some of the newer stuff I've seen, but for what all that movie had from CGI and all that fun stuff, like mm-hmm. I'd say it was pretty solid. It wasn't perfect. I mean, you could tell, but yeah. it was still better, I think, than people give it credit for, for both Tarkin and Leia. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I wondered for the long, like I didn't look it up right away, but I wondered for the longest time, like Tarkin was just, because there was so much of Tarkin, I feel like it was just like, how did they do that? You know what I right. mean? Like, cause you hadn't really seen that mm-hmm. in movies before. So. Well, and the other thing, they had reflections of Tarkin, which I was like, that had to be even harder. I would oh, think yeah. because now you're talking about, you've got to blurry it some. Like, right. Once you get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I always have these little sections at the end of the movies where I talk about what I praise and what I might criticize if I have any criticisms. Praise, I mean, across the board, the effects, the pacing, performances, the overall story, the characters, um, I mean, the sound or the the score is all top notch for me. I love it. No, I'd agree. This is, like I said, one of my favorite Star Wars movies. If we step outside the originals. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorites. Just it's a great standalone movie. There's not like a ton you have to know going into it or anything. Like, right. You know, you can get lost in lore for Star Wars because there's so much. But this is a great standalone movie, in my opinion. Absolutely. Criticism. Uh, I said a very light but potentially unfair criticism. Uh, the characters all seem a bit subtle in their goodness. We don't get the big personalities of Han, Luke, and Leia You know, that's the only thing I'll say for this movie that maybe if we could have gotten some of that, it would have been it would have put it even more over the top. But yeah, and I think I wonder if that was intentional on their part to not get us really enjoying a character that they were going to kill off. That's, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that's the case, um, but yeah, that that was one of the things that kind of made me you know, wonder whenever people talk about the character development in this movie, I'm like, I mean, they did know going into it when they were making it that the characters weren't going to make it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The other criticism I have is that Bib Fortuna was never visibly on screen. So what's the point? That's all I got. (laughs) That's it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think one of my criticisms, aside from like the CGI, just because I wanted to mention that because I I like it, but I can see where people have issue with it. Another one of mine was just when you see Tarkin interacting and just how cold he is and stuff like, and you get that in the first movie, don't get me wrong, or in the New Hope when he's there. But I kind of wish like we'd had some other players at the table because I feel like Mm. it's always Tarkin in the beginning stuff where there's nobody else. I mean, and or we're hopefully going to see other things, but I don't know yet. Right. Yep. Fair enough. So we got some trivia. 
the footage of some of the X-Wing pilots, especially Red and Gold Leader, include a call sign exchange, which are originally deleted footage from the Death Star attack from Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, the original Star Wars, but they were digitally cut into this footage um, shot for this film. So I don't know if you know this, but they were looking for props for this movie, and that's how they found this footage. Like, in, like, a Star Wars warehouse. Wow. So it wasn't even, like, it was, like, they intentionally looked for it. They stumbled upon it. Right. (laughs) Which is fucking amazing. Yeah, and I love the cut-ins, because, like, as soon as I saw him, I was like, I know that guy. Like, how did they do this? Like, Right. So it makes sense it was deleted footage. Yeah. So in earlier versions of the script, Lyra Urso was a Jedi. This was abandoned in later versions as the idea of exploring the lives of the galaxy's normal inhabitants, especially after the fall of the Jedi Order, was considered more interesting, which I do like that. It's like less of the same, you know, it's just more, you know, credit to this movie for for doing something different, you know? I'm totally on board with you there. The only thing that kind of bugged me about Lyra is if you look at her in one of the first two scenes, Mm -hmm. it looks like she has Jedi robes underneath. Because I do remember looking that up to see if she was a a Jedi after I first saw it. And like, I don't think that was intentional. It was probably just, you know, uh, uh, air and, you know, how they dress it was just but continuity they yeah just and it just was like is she, is she a jedi like what yeah kind of looks like she has those robes so that was my only like thing when when i saw this little trivia point that i was like yeah i remember that yeah so gareth edwards instructed the art department to only use elements that would have been available in 1977 to get the movie to look contemporary to Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. The flight control animations, for example, had to be kept as simple as possible, resisting the urge to make them too flashy. Another good call, in my opinion. Um, they had the red lenses for Vader, too. Which yeah, I, which I like because as Vader progresses in the first in the original three, they get darker, like they're yeah. shaded. But yeah, they, he had the red ones, and I was like. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking sweet. Nearly none of the footage and dialogue in Rogue One's original reveal trailer made it into the final theatrical cut. It is theorized this was caused by the film's extensive reshoots. I don't know what else it would be if it's not, you know, it's theorized, but it's a pretty proven theory. They had to reshoot a ton of stuff. So the one thing I, I remember in the first reveal trailer was like, when Jen's on that catwalk, when she's realigning the uh, antenna, there's a TIE fighter that's, like, lined up right on her. And it's, like, that wasn't in the movie. And right. I'm kind of glad it wasn't because it's, like, you're telling me this TIE fighter spotted somebody up there and then was, like, going in to just shoot that little person off there. Right, like, they like, wouldn't <laughs> just do a flyby, like, right. Yeah. <laughs> The first and so far only Star Wars film without any transition wipes, uh, except for the transition to the end credits, which is exactly like the original films. The first ever Star Wars film in which the title is spoken, Lance talked about this. So I guess we can just dive into info and ratings. Runtime, 134 minutes. Budget, Somewhere between 200 and 265 million. Worldwide gross of 1.058 billion. IMDb rating 7.8. Rotten Tomato critic score 84%. Rotten Tomato audience score 86%. Personal rating 5 out of 5 stars. I love it for its flaws and for its 
It's majesty. What, do you, what What's your... You... Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to give a rating, I would definitely say it's five out of five for me. I mean, it, it's okay. up there in terms of movies for me in general. So definitely good. I mean, I would say this is a top three for because I think I like this better than Return of the Jedi. You, oh, in terms of Star Wars? Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I definitely would say it's in my top five. I, I don't know if it breaks the top three. Okay. But that's more so because, and we've talked about, I have a bias towards the prequels because I remember those as a kid and I loved them. Right. And I, and I know how terrible they are. <laughs> right. Fair enough. <clears throat> okay, so I guess we might as well just dive right into The Empire Strikes Back, released on May 21st, 1980, directed by Irvin Kirshner. He also directed Never Say Never Again, which was an unofficial James Bond movie, and RoboCop 2. So I would say he pretty well peaked at The Empire Strikes Back. Writers, we had Lee Brackett and Lawrence Kasdan, and I mentioned them specifically because this movie has some of the best writing of any of the Star Wars movies. It's very well written. It's got a lot of great dialogue and things like that. So Kasdan wrote... Uh, I looked up specifically Lawrence Kasdan. He wrote this movie, The Return of the Jedi, The Force Awakens, Solo, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and The Bodyguard, which was that movie with Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston. Super neat. That seems like it doesn't fit the mix. It doesn't. It's <laughs> completely out of the realm. Maybe it was like a pet project. Right. So the score... For this movie, composer John fucking Williams. He did Star Wars, all the Star Wars movies other than Rogue One. He did, oh, and Solo. I don't think he did Solo. He did all the Indiana Jones movies. He did Jaws and Jaws 2, Superman and Superman 2, uh, the Harry Potter movies, Home Alone, a bunch of fucking Steven Spielberg movies. They are frequent collaborators. Uh, For the cast, we have Mark Hamill, who who plays Luke Skywalker. The Joker is on his resume as being, he is a fan favorite for being like the best to ever voice the Joker. He's a, a very gifted voice actor. Yeah, I know you're a huge Batman guy. And uh, like whenever I think of Mark Hamill, obviously I think of Luke Skywalker, but the next thing is the Joker because yeah. he's been in the video games and some of the TV shows. And to me, he is like the voice of the Joker. Oh, he is. He, he embodies it perfectly. Harrison Ford, who plays Han Solo, was also in a shit ton of movies. He's <laughs> He was the one that had the best career coming out of these movies. You know, he was able to move on and, and basically Carrie Fisher and, and Luke Skyer and uh, Mark Hamill got typecast a little bit, so they they had trouble finding work. I think Mark Hamill had more of a problem than Carrie Fisher, but then, of course, Carrie Fisher, who plays Princess Leia Organa, and the only thing else I can think of that she's been in is When Harry Met Sally. We have Billy D. Williams, who plays Lando Calrissian. James Earl Jones slash David Prowse play Darth Vader, so James Earl Jones is the voice, David Prowse is the body of Darth Vader. A little bit of casting notes, just one. Um, James Earl Jones actually declined credit for this role as he considered himself to be special effects to prowse. Pretty admirable. I I really like that. Plot synopsis. So following his leadership of a victorious attack on the Death Star, Luke Skywalker must train to face Darth Vader, who pursues Luke's friends across the galaxy. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there. 
There is. <laughs> I, I have so much trouble because like if you don't make it brief, if you keep trying to include more of the right, plot, right. it's like, holy shit. So, I mean, I guess we can just dive right into this. Um, we get the opening scrawl that is commonplace in most Star Wars movies, uh, that it sets the tone for the events of the film. The rebels have been chased across the galaxy. Vader is desperately trying to track down Luke. Uh, there's something comforting about a John Williams score. When it first kicks in, it's just, wow. Like, the 20th Century Fox goes away, Lucasfilm LTD, and then all of a sudden you got fucking, bam! Like, yeah. (laughs) There is... A Star Destroyer dispatching probes to many different locations, including the ice planet Hoth. And the probes look pretty evil. And honestly, they're pretty cool looking. Um, they, they like kind of hover around. They don't, you know, they're, they're not, uh, they don't look like they're, they're not like drones. I mean, they're, right. they, they're like just hovering. You don't really know what the mechanism is that's keeping them up. We see Luke riding a Tauntaun, scouting the area. Uh, Luke goes to investigate a meteorite and which is actually the, probe crash landing and it's um he's attacked by a giant snow monster that i know is called a wampa because i googled it um han is at the base explaining luke's situation and that he has to leave because of the price on his head leia chases han down to get him to stay and the back and forth between these two throughout this movie love it fucking love it. They're starting to worry about Luke as the planet is very cold and it's getting late and they're going to have to close the blast doors and all this stuff. Luke is, we see him hanging upside down from his feet in a cave and this Wampa, I don't know, is just like preheating the oven or something. I don't know what, why he didn't just eat Luke right away, but you I know. I think he was eating the Tauntaun first. Oh, that's a good call. So he knocked he knocked Luke out and dragged both of them back. And I'm guessing the Tauntaun was a much larger meal. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's fair. Luke uses his force powers to summon the lightsaber that is in the snow near him, and but he can't actually reach it. Um, and he cuts himself free, and then he kills the Wampa, and he cuts off a limb because that's what happens in Star Wars a lot is people get their limbs and hands cut off. So Luke collapses while walking in the extreme cold and Han finds him and cuts open his Tauntaun to warm Luke up. And so Leia and Chewie and the droids are worried about Luke and Han as they have to close the base's blast doors. Before Han comes, Obi-Wan comes to Luke in a vision telling him to go to the Dagobah system to train with Yoda. And Luke has no frame of reference for who Yoda is or what he looks like or anything. So he just knows that he's supposed to go to this planet. So in the morning, the rebel fighters are dispatched and they find Han and Luke. When they get back, Luke is put in a back to tank to rehabilitate. The rebels are making Han stay as as it is dangerous for any ships to leave the system at that time. And Han and Leia's back and forth just, it keeps going. It's so great. Han goes to check out the Imperial, Imperial probe droid and they know the empire knows their location we see the fighters being dispatched from the imperial ships and vader finds out about hoth and knows that that must be where the rebels are so they gear up to attack and we get 
one of the most awesome battle scenes on this ice planet that you could possibly ask for. You know, as as we talked about, you get the the at at the ATAT all all terrain artillery transport. Yes. I believe. Yep. And they are like I they're walking, but like we talked about, like these are stop motion, like slowly, you know, in this sense of like claymation where they do right. like one shot at a time <clears throat> and it looks really good. Like it doesn't look like choppy like sometimes it might. So Vader gets fed up with one of his superior officers. I don't remember his name, do you? No, um, it, it, this 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 might be a frequent thing for Vader. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So he kind of, oh, he jumps out of hyperspace too close to the system and, and kind of shows the hand that the Empire's there and the Rebels are able to pick him up. Right. Okay. Yeah. So and he so he chokes him to death. Yep. And yeah. Um, force choking is a, is a big thing for Vader. <laughs> right. He's a big fan of the Force choke. Yeah. He, uh, when it comes to disappointing or, or not doing something exactly as Vader asked, there's... There's going to be a little trick. Yeah, there, yeah, there's going to be probably death involved. Yeah. I just, I pointed out at this time that I, I would love to see the process of the AT-ATs getting uh, like onto the planet and geared up. You know right. what I mean? Like, it would be cool to see that, but I don't, I assume it was probably too tough to do. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've seen a little bit of it in like some of the Star Wars Rebels cartoon, I think has it where it's like this big ship's on top of it and kind of like drops it down. Right. Um, but I think, I don't think that they were thinking that far ahead back then. Right. Like now you have, you want to see every little piece of it and every Star Wars thing where back then, I mean, Star Wars was huge, but then The Empire Strikes Back was the next movie and we'll see how it goes type of thing. Right. Okay, so... <laughs> So Luke's co-pilot says, right now, I feel like I could take on the whole empire myself. And I can't help but think that that's like only something somebody who's about to die is going to say. Right. It's just very foreshadowy. Writing Um, on the wall. Right. And so the walkers, the the ADATs, I'll call them walkers because it's a little more comfortable. They're heavily armored and the rebels are struggling to take them down. So they use tow cables to take out their legs and the walkers just seem like they wouldn't be ideal for movement, like just trying to be agile at all. Like, you know, it wouldn't work out well for them. Apparently, and this is one thing I don't get is like, when they take down the walker, does its armor just like go to shit? Like, cause they just, they take it down and it's like, face planted in the snow and they come in like one blaster shot from a fighter Blows and it, it is up. blown up like it is gone and Where it's like, other parts you see the blaster when they're upright you see the blast just kind of like absorbed into the armor yeah yeah so i never i i, I feel like that's uh just how it's gonna work in the movie it doesn't make logical sense right yeah. But yeah, I, I, I'm with you there where I never understood the, well, now that it's down on the ground, it's lost all integrity to its shields or anything. <laughs> right. And so the, the opening, this opening battle is very fun. It's a lot of exciting shit to watch. Um, the rebels are on the run, but Luke cables up to destroy one of the walkers. He like cuts in with his lightsaber. And although Han could have left during the battle, technically he decides to stay and help. And then, um, and, and then I have Vader's in the Hoth base, you know, he gets there and they're all fleeing in the Millennium Falcon. And at this moment, like R2 is being such a fucking rock star in the back of the fighter jet with Luke. Um, just he like rocks back. He looks like he's just having the time <laughs> of his life. 
The Empire is chasing Han and Leia and company through space now, and it's it's really testing the Falcon. So in case you forgot, Luke's going to the Dagobah system, and Han and Leia are on the run trying to find, you know, safe haven somewhere. The important distinction is Luke probably jumped to hyperspace as soon as he could, mm-hmm. and the Falcon, that's the big issue, is it can't jump into hyperspace. It's, like, broken or not working. Yeah, right, because Chewie was working on it in right. the beginning of the movie. And yeah. so that's that's why you're getting that chase where Luke just kind of vanished. Right. And yeah, so I have the they can't go to light speed because the the equipment is down and they navigate this asteroid field which is very intense. They use it to shake the pursuing Imperial fighters. They go down inside this cave on one of the asteroids, and at least what we think is a cave, and they decide they're going to wait out the pursuit in there. And then um, we go back to Luke and R2. They're heading for Dagobah, and Luke has to crash land on this really dense, foggy planet that's like super swampy and stuff. Uh, And this is where they're supposed to be meeting Yoda. Uh, We see Vader getting his helmet put on, and the back of his head is all gnarly and fucked up looking, which is... And that's our first ever seen, seeing Vader without a helmet. Right. Not obviously a full thing, but it, it was just a little glimpse where it's like, yeah. okay, he might be a human. <laughs> but yeah, he, he looks pretty fucked up one way or the other. So Han and company try and find out what's wrong with the Falcon while hiding in the asteroid cave. Luke tries to find Yoda when he arrives and does, but doesn't realize it's him. And then he honestly just thinks that that this little guy is just some little weirdo that's talking all weird and stuff and, you know, doesn't really think much of him. I I, I just want to say, and I know that this is a total me thing to say, I love Puppet Yoda so much more than CGI Yoda. Everything about him, like, it's it looks... He is Yoda to me, you know what I mean? That's one the one thing I gripe about in the, the prequels with Yoda is it's like, He's so serious, but I know he's not as old, so that's what it's supposed to be, is he's, like, gotten old and weird. But it's, like, he doesn't look as cool, you know what I mean? Like, it's such a cool puppet that they use for Yoda. And they use puppets for Grogu, which is the baby version of whatever Yoda's species is. They specifically use puppets because it's it just feels more realistic for some reason, even though mentally we know it's not real. It just... it. Feels more natural. So yeah, I'm right there with you with the puppet thing. Yeah. What I, what, okay, one question I have, and I'm sure that there's not an answer to this, but <laughs> am I, am I right in assuming that Luke is just not strong enough with the force to sense it in Yoda? So the kind of thing about Dagobah is it's supposed to be a very like force rich environment. Okay. So like it's, he's the more life and more things that are around i think it gets harder to tell and dagobah is one of those places where there's something living everywhere there's trees there's vines so i think it's part that and then the other part is i don't think yoda's like kept up much on like his force ways and is more so kind of like a hobbit at this point yeah so it's like he's it's not like he's giving that vibe off and yeah all that fun oh you stuff. mean he's a hermit hermit I yeah. say Hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I meant Hermit. Yes, okay. <laughs> we get this really, really tense scene between Han and Leia um, back on the asteroid where they kiss and then Captain Cockblock C-3PO comes and interrupts. <laughs> um, so I don't, I think this has to do with the fact that they didn't know that they were going to go this direction, but I feel like Vader should be able to sense Leia in these movies too. You know what I mean? Like it's, she's... I- 
I think she's pretty like out of touch with the force, but I think what a lot of this kind of comes back to is the whole force sensitive thing and being able to feel people is something that's not explored until later films and stuff. Like, so that wasn't really a thing when they were making these movies. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. We see the emperor and in the version I watched, I watched the despecialized version. Did you watch that or you watch the regular? I watched the regular. Okay. So this, the emperor looks so bizarre when it's not <laughs> Ian McDermott. Like he, yeah. he's, I don't know if you've ever seen what they talked about, how they made his look. Like, it's like an amalgamation of a monkey and, like, a bunch of other shit. It's yeah. just really fucking weird, and I, I don't... I, don't I know. remember it looking super odd until it was replaced. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, you know, we've talked about the fact that we're not the biggest fans of some of the revamps or whatever you want to call it that Lucas did, but that's one I can completely get on board with. Yeah. Yeah, there are certain ones, because, I mean, it's like, I I didn't mind that it was like that, just because I knew that was the spirit of what I was watching, you know, it was, like, supposed to be the original, unspecialized thing, but basically, when we see the Emperor, he tells Vader that Luke is a threat, and then Vader convinces the Emperor that he could be a powerful ally, and it's like, yeah, I mean, why wouldn't he be if if you could convince him? Uh, So Vader's gonna try and convince Luke to come to the dark side. Uh, There are a few things in these movies that betray what they talk about in the prequels or like the things that happen in the prequels. There's just a lot of stuff that it's like, okay, so Obi-Wan says he trained with Yoda, but we know he trained with Qui-Gon Jinn. You know, Mm -hmm. he didn't really train with Yoda. You know, he might've been a part of that council and all that stuff. But so it's just, there's, there's some stuff like that, that if you ever go, if you've never seen them, and you go to dive into the Star Wars movies, there's going to be some continuity errors, but that they're not egregious, in my opinion. Right. They're they're very minor. Yeah. For it, and and I think what a lot of it is is just kind of expanding what the universe was. Like you know the the way we see the Force and and the original trilogy versus how we see it used in right. the prequels and sequels. Like it's mind blowing the differences. You know. Right. Um, but again, it's. A product of it hadn't fully taken shape yet. Right. And so we get uh, Luke pleading with an apprehensive Yoda to train him. And Yoda begrudgingly goes along with it. Han and Leia go out to investigate what's making noise in the cave. And it turns out to be what's called a Minoc, which is chewing on the power cables. Suddenly, what appears to be seismic activity uh, starts and they have to get out of there since it's actually a giant monster that they've been inside of the entire time. It's just like this big worm thing, you know? So Luke is running around training with Yoda and he's, uh, Yoda's riding piggyback and, uh, it's, I mean, Yoda just looks like a backpack on, on Luke and, um, Yoda's coaching him as he goes and Yoda kind of sends Luke on, I guess what you would call like a vision quest or something, uh, through this really dense area that is strong with the dark side. And Yoda says that he will not need his weapons, but Luke brings them anyway. After some time, Luke is faced by a vision of Vader and they duel and Luke defeats him. But when he sees Vader's helmet lying on the ground, a vision of his face is superimposed inside of it. So it's pretty fucking eerie. Back with the the Empire, Vader talks with the bounty hunters 
about tracking the rebels down and they are instructed not to harm them. Boba Fett, the only bounty hunter we care about at this time, agrees. (laughs) So Boba Fett, that's one thing I will say in this movie, and I have it in my end notes, is I so desperately wish we could have gotten a little more development because I could have gone for 20 more minutes of Star Wars and gotten more Boba Fett, you know. Yep. So I I think uh, the strong silent type played out well for him, but I definitely could have used more whether it was action or dialogue right it, just a little more stuff from his his angle where it's like he's he's riding around in slave one and you know it's like you kind of see what he's seeing like just more of that stuff oh, I it's guess. boba fett starship now or no yes yes no i deliberately <laughs> called it slave one thank you very much um, the falcon has a run-in with a star destroyer and goes into attack mode and then seemingly disappears. And um, we we don't really know where they went. We don't see them anywhere. And and the Empire is befuddled. They have no idea. Yoda is training Luke to use the Force to get his X-Wing out of the swamp that it's crash-landed in. It's... It's really great. The way it really keeps the pace up with them bouncing right back and forth mm-hmm. between all the groups, you know? And so basically, Yoda explains the force to Luke as he struggles to lift the X Wing with his mind. Yoda shows Luke his power by using the force to lift the fighter out of the swamp very seemingly easy. Luke says, I don't believe it. And Yoda says, that is why you fail. Um, so Vader is desperate to find the Millennium Falcon and. It is established that the Falcon is hiding on the surface of the ship, just being super incognito. They plan to fall off the ship when they um, release a, a dump of trash. And so they're just going to use that as cover to get away. And, and it seems like a pretty sound plan. But Boba Fett is a little too privy to what they're trying to do. So Yeah, it seems like uh, it's the Empire is just littering. I just want to yeah. point that out. But no, I I always kind of wondered about some of that stuff where, like, if you had trash on your starship, what do you do? And it's like, well, apparently with your empire, you just dump it wherever you're leaving. Right. Which I kind of find entertaining a little bit. Yeah. Because it's like, I would have never thought about that. And it's like a great little kind of, I guess, way to keep the story going with giving Han an opportunity to hide among the trash. Like, Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's It's a very cool cool thing that they do. It's a great idea. Right. Han and company decide that they're going to go visit uh, Lando Calrissian on this uh, cloud city, and they're unaware that Boba Fett is pursuing them. Luke is still training when he has a vision of the city in the clouds where Han and company are, and he sees that they are in trouble, so he senses he has to go and save them. Yoda says... It's a bad idea, basically. He's not He's not on board, and it's like, you know, Yoda wants him to stay and finish training, and, you know, he thinks, like, he's like, you might you might save your friends, but it's, in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to be a good idea. And so, when they land on the Cloud City, uh, Han and Leia and them all are met with a bit of hostility as they approach. When they get out, Lando greets them with a fake-out about, you know, like, he's acting like he's, he calls them a... a two-bit swindler or something like that and then he just turns around and he's like he's like so happy to see you man you know he's just like he's hugging and all that shit so lando is pretty flirty with leia which han obviously really enjoys Leia is not a fan of the situation and doesn't seem to like Lando at all. Luke is gearing up to leave Dagobah and save Han and Leia. But 
as he leaves, Yoda and Obi-Wan warn him that he should stay and finish training, but Luke's going to go anyway, and he promises to come back. Ben says, you know, as Luke's gone, he says, that boy is our only hope. And Yoda says, no, there is another. And so, you know, at some point they they figured out that Leia was going to be Luke's sister, you know? like Well, yeah, so they, they had to have figured out that out in the script. But, like, it goes back to the continuity errors you talked about because it's like Obi-Wan is there when the babies are born. Right. So he should know that. Yeah. But, you know, it it, it also, I think, is just a, a product of time. Right. Yeah. So Leia explains to Han that she doesn't trust Lando and Han says that he really doesn't either. Chewbacca finds C-3PO in a trash heap all taken apart because we see C-3PO and he goes and he looks inside this room and he's like clearly alarmed at what he sees, but you don't know what it is. You right. know, it's just, it could be anything. Yeah. And so... Because he gets shot. Right. Falls apart or comes right. apart, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And so basically... You know, Lando is taking him to what they think is like dinner or something. And and they go and Lando opens this door and it's a trap and it's Vader standing there waiting for him. And Boba Fett's right there. You know, it's just so it's like they're they're like, oh, shit, this is not good. Han tries to shoot Vader. And I think it's an important thing to talk about just because, again, it goes back to force and we're kind of learning about it still. Yeah. And and at this point, and Vader just basically absorbs the bolts somehow and then pulls the blaster from Han into his hand. Right. And it's just it's a crazy little sequence because, again, we're not exposed to the force that much. Right. And so, yeah, I'm sure there were a lot of questions in 1980 and (laughs) things like that. Um, so they hold Han, Leia, and Chewie against their will Will at Lando's uh, facility. And the intention is for Boba Fett to take Han's frozen body to deliver it to Jabba the Hutt after Luke arrives. And so Han, before Han gets frozen, he punches Lando for betraying them. But to be fair, it, it just kind of seems like there's not really much Lando could have done. He was kind of fucked. I mean... You've got the Empire bearing down on you. What are you supposed to do? Vader makes it clear that he wants to freeze Luke, but they say that they will test it on Han to be safe. Luke comes in on his X-Wing. They let him come right in and don't, you know, they just open the door for him and all that stuff. I think we get an iconic exchange before Luke gets there a little bit where Leia says, I love you to Han. And he just says, I know. Like, it's just such a badass line And from the fact Han. that it wasn't in the original script is what I love. So right. because it's like, Harrison Ford pitched the idea because he's just like, I don't like, I'm not saying I love you too or something like right, that, right. you know? So he's like, what would Han Solo really say? Right. You know? And, and it fits it perfectly oh, it, for, it's for what Han is. Yeah. Arguably one of the best moments in movies ever. Like, right. it's just so great. Oh yeah, that was my next note is, Leia, I love you, Han, I know. Um, <laughs> I jumped ahead by one, <laughs> one bullet. Right, so, you know, they freeze Han and Carbonite and, you know, Boba Fett takes him away to take him to Jabba. And they apparently froze Han because they didn't know if Harrison Ford would actually return for another sequel. So that was like their way of kind of leaving that up in the air. Vader decides he's going to take the princess and the Wookiee instead of leaving them with Lando. And Lando is pissed and, you know, Vader is basically like, I'm altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. Luke finally arrives and he he knows it's a trap, but he must face Vader. So I just, 
It's another one of those questions. Why are we not changing Luke's surname to something other than Skywalker? Why are we? Yeah. So I, you know, kind of going back, uh, you know, I get I get Luke was on Tatooine, which is supposed to be this desolate place. Nobody goes there. Right. Nobody's visiting. I should say you're there. You're there. But yeah, I, the, the whole Skywalker last name has always because Vader would immediately know, like the important people of the Empire would know the second they heard Skywalker. Exactly. And so, yeah, I don't know why his name wasn't changed right. or anything like that to like hide him better. But my assumption is just they never thought he'd leave Tatooine or something. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's. It is problematic, but it's like, it's kind of minor. You right. Know? I thought you were going to say, how did Luke know where to go to find Vader? Because Cloud City looks to be pretty huge. And I can't imagine wherever Vader was waiting in like the carbonite chamber was mm-hmm. close to the ship. And I always like thought like they'd have like little arrow signs like go this way. Right. Right. <laughs> so obviously he's just kind of mindlessly wandering around trying to find Leia, Han, anybody. Right. Know? Yeah. So, you know, we, we get a sweet fucking duel between Luke and Vader. It's a lot of great imagery. We get a lot of cool shots. You know, it's very dark. And then these lightsabers are lighting up the imagery. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. And and they're just going back and forth, you know, violently. And Vader, initially at least, Vader is like pulling his punches. Like he's... Yeah. He's not going all out because you no, can just tell. He he seems like at first when he first knocks Luke into the carbonite pit, he's like, oh, God, this guy is super raw. He doesn't know what he's doing. Right. And Luke does find his way out. And I think at first, like, it's a combo of Vader thinking he's pure garbage <laughs> right. as a fighter and stuff and with the force. And then the other part is he doesn't want to kill him because he still has that. That's my kid. Mentality. Right. So Lando betrays Vader. But Leia and Chewie are still pissed at him, but he's going to help them get away. Lando allows Leia and company to escape as Han is being loaded on Boba Fett's ship. Vader and Luke keep going at it. Vader tries to get into Luke's head and whatnot. He's, you know, he's just really trash talking him. And like, then he's also trying to get him to, to, to see that, you know, the dark side isn't so bad and that he should, he should consider it. He's, he's really hoping to turn Luke and, but Vader starts at, at one point, especially when they go out onto the catwalk where it's like, he is starting to fucking like give him a beat down. Like he's really into it. Like when he, when he cuts the hand off, I think it's, He's trying to hold back at that point from destroying him, as he keeps saying. Yeah. Leia and company are trying to get out alive, and they're bringing Lando, and they manage to get away in the Falcon. We are at an impasse in the duel, where Luke eventually finds Vader, and Vader appears to be going all out. Vader cuts Luke's hand off, as we mentioned. Vader gives the... The famous line, you know, because he says, you know, like he he basically he he says, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He says, he told me enough. He told me you killed him. And he says, no, I am your father. And it's the epic line that everybody quotes wrong. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's still great. So I just want to jump in a little bit of trivia there. Mark Hamill, George Lucas, and I think the director were the only three people that knew. Yeah, right. It was like such a huge secret. And uh, I saw a Mark Hamill interview and at the premiere, he was sitting next to Harrison Ford. And when that happened, Harrison Ford turned to him and he goes, 
you didn't tell me that. (laughs) (laughs) And so I, I always think of that whenever I hear the line now. It's just they kept it so under, like, I can't. Right. I don't know what level of spoiler that would be in today's movies, you know, uh, maybe Grogu in, in The Mandalorian, because we didn't see anything about a baby Yoda until that episode. Ever. Right. So, you know, it, it's that hidden, like the secrecy and the spoiler around that is just, it's one of the best all-time movements, all-time twists uh, yeah. in a movie. So the fact they kept it under wraps, it it's just amazing. Now, do you remember where were, were you able to to get that spoiler free when you first watched this movie? You think? Uh, I'm pretty sure because I was a kid. So yeah. So you just weren't. Yeah. I, I, you know, my parents are not nerds like me. Uh, right. So that so when I watched this, uh, nobody had spoiled it for me. But I don't think like if you watched it as an adult and it was like, oh my, I don't think I appreciated it at all when I was a kid because it right. was kind of like the bad guy's the dad. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's. It's one of those things where it's like, I feel like if I would have gone very long without seeing Star Wars, I would have found out about it. Oh, I completely. And it's like, I I luckily saw it when I was a little kid, like very little. So it's like, yeah, luckily I didn't have any frame of reference for Luke, I am your father or anything like that. I had a friend who asked me what order to watch the movies and I told him in like the order they were released. So four, five, six, one, two, three. And after she watched six, she said to me, she goes... Darth Vader dies, and I was like, man, you didn't get anything spoiled for you. I'm pretty impressed. Because yeah. obviously Vader passes at the end of Return of the Jedi. So right. it was just funny to hear that genuine reaction of, obviously she knew about the Vader being dead, but then Vader right. passing away was... Right. Spoilers for the 1982 yeah. film or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, it's, it's really okay. Uh, or maybe it's 83. Anyway, Luke deliberately, you know, like when he finds this out from Vader, he deliberately falls off the catwalk and goes down into the abyss and ends up in this ventilation shaft and is just kind of, you know, he, he's crawling out trying to find um, some way to get out. And he falls down into, you know, onto this antenna thing after he opens one of the hatches and he has really nowhere else to go and he starts trying to communicate with Leia and Leia senses something. She she tells Lando to turn around and so they go, you know, they turn around and they find Luke and they, you know, they they pick him up. As they flee, uh, TIE fighters are on their tail. They go to punch the hyperspeed that Lando's people said they fixed, but it's not working. Apparently the Empire had deactivated it, so um, they had to fix it again. Vader mentally communicates with Luke while Luke is on the ship and or on uh, the Falcon. He he continually tries to harp on the whole come to the dark side, bro. Do it up. So R2 fixes the hyperdrive, allowing them to escape the clutches of the Empire before they can get into the tractor beam. And our band of rebels are down at the end of this movie, but not out. And they remain on the run. And that is the way the movie closes out. It is one of those, one of the very few instances where the movie doesn't really have a happy ending. Like, not everybody dies, but it's like, 
a lot of bad shit happens. Yes. There's there's no win for, yep. you know. This was, in my opinion, a very bad guy victorious movie. And right. I think that's one of the reasons I love it is that's so rare yeah. to enjoy a movie where the bad guy basically yeah. wins. Um, a little bit of praise for this movie. The writing is spectacular. The characters are all very well developed, which helps in that it's a sequel. Um, the timelessness of the score, you know, because they chose... When they first did Star Wars, not to do a spacey score. They Mm -hmm. wanted to do something that worked on a broader level, you know. So it really works really well with these movies. And the plot is just nonstop. It's a a thrill ride. It's very exciting. It's, It's one of the very few instances where I would probably say the sequel is slightly better than the original. Not by a ton, but it's, I mean, the, the original is great and it stands alone. You know, you could watch it by itself and get pretty satisfied but i I love the um i I love this one i would say for star wars universe this is the top movie for me yeah easily um you know you wouldn't think that with the bad guys winning i'm also a big fan of revenge of the sith just seeing that kind of change of anakin but Mm -hmm. uh you know this this is up there for me in all-time movies. Uh, it's just fantastic all around. Absolutely. Only criticism I had I already mentioned was the thing about Boba Fett just not being developed as much as he should have been. Um, but, I, I mean, it's a very minor complaint. I, I don't have a huge issue with that. So, a little bit of trivia. I got a long one here. In order to avoid sharing creative rights, George Lucas decided to avoid using a major studio to finance this movie. Instead, he bankrolled the $18 million himself and used a combination of his profits from uh, the first Star Wars movie and a bank loan. Although the movie was risky, it paid off several times over. Lucas recovered his investment within three months of the movie's release. He then showed gratitude far beyond the Hollywood norm by sharing the profits with his employees Nearly $5 million in bonuses. Every time I think about Lucas, like, you know, you can say what you want about the guy and creative differences and stuff, but he's never struck me as, like, greedy. And I think one of the best moves he ever made where Fox immensely goofed up was he got the rights to toys. Like, merchandising in general. Everything merchandise was him. And I don't know how much Fox lost out on, but it has to be like oh god, so many billions. It's yeah. probably not even fathomable at this right. point. It's I mean to think that like I I think I read some ridiculous milestone about Space Jam getting like a huge milestone of like profits or like you know like it's really selling a lot and it's like. You know that it's like maybe a decimal of a percent of the Star Wars stuff. So it's very cool. Um, The shots where Luke uses his Jedi powers to retrieve his lightsaber from a distance were achieved by having Mark Hamill throw the lightsaber away and then running the film in reverse. Pretty nifty idea. Yeah. It's pretty solid. Um, With the exception of being sucked out of a Cloud City window... Mark Hamill did all of his own stunts. Carrie Fisher stood on a box for many of her scenes with Harrison Ford in order to make up for their height difference and have her appear in the frame with him. Carrie Fisher is five foot one, and she's so she's almost a foot shorter than Harrison Ford, who is six feet tall. When Han Solo is about to be frozen, Princess Leia says, I love you. In the original script, Han was supposed to say, just remember that, Leia, because I'll be back. But at the time of filming, Harrison Ford wasn't entirely certain he want, he did want to come back for a third movie. There is a recurring legend that his line, I know, was ad-libbed. 
However, Alan Arnold's book, Once Upon a Galaxy, a journal of the making of The Empire Strikes Back, includes a transcription of the discussion between Ford and director Irvin Kirshner in which Ford suggested the line. So he didn't just make it up on the fly, but he pitched changing it. He, right. he wanted it to be something different. Lee Brackett's first draft of the screenplay contained the revelation of Luke's sister, her existence disclosed by the ghost of Anakin Skywalker. Referred to as Nella Skywalker, Anakin explains that it was he, not Obi-Wan, who separated the twins at birth and, uh, and that was to protect them from Darth Vader, That and that Nelleth also underwent Jedi training in another part of the galaxy so she could join forces with Luke to defeat the Sith. This concept was dropped in the second draft of the screenplay, along with the appearance of Anakin Skywalker, and replaced with the scene of Obi-Wan and Yoda discussing how they must find another Jedi apprentice in anticipation of Luke's failure. This too changed in later drafts, resulting in the more ambiguous scene in the final version where Yoda assures Obi-Wan that there is another. Wow, that was a lot of reading. We're getting down to it. You got any more? I mean, you got any other stuff you want to talk about with The Empire Strikes Back? Um, Not particularly. I, I think I kind of touched on, you know, it being a great movie and all that fun stuff. So oh, yeah. I, I don't have anything much to add except for, you know, if you haven't seen it in a long time, watch it again or... If you're listening to this and definitely watch it again, (laughs) it's just such a good movie. Oh, yeah. And so info and ratings, we have a runtime of 124 minutes, which is like the perfect length of time for a movie to be. Budget, $30.5 million. Worldwide gross, 538 to 549 million. IMDb rating, 8.7. Rotten Tomato Critics score, 94%. Rotten Tomato audience score, 97%. Personal rating, 5 out of 5 stars. Get the fuck out of here. What else was I going to say? And I'd give it a 5 out of 5, too. I mean, we're, okay. we're talking about two of my top movies. <laughs> yeah. And I'm a Star Wars guy, so. Right. So this is, this is your wheelhouse, if anything. All right. Well, that's all I have for today. I appreciate you coming on, Lance. It's It's been a blast. I've yeah. really had a good time. Yeah, we'll uh, have to do it again in the future. Maybe Star Wars, maybe something different. Right. (laughs) See, what I was thinking with you is I was like, if I didn't do Star Wars, I would do like Drive. Yep. And The Fast and the Furious to do like a car movies episode just to make fun of like at great length. We have to talk about The Fast and the Furious. (laughs) Yes. It's, it's, yeah, it needs to happen. So, all right, well. Thanks, everybody. I, um, again, appreciate your time, Lance. Everybody have a good day. Thank you. Brandon at Random Reviews is performed, written, directed, produced, and edited by Brandon Griffiths. Theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz from Fiverr. 